the annual NFL and NBA draft drive home the reality that in order for your team to be successful, you must always be recruiting younger talent. Even the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts shows us how to bring on the younger generation. Our study leader Dave Wurtson takes us to Acts chapter 15 verse 41, a passage on how Paul models the power of the mentor. The Cowboys didn't really have a very good draft pick this year, so it really wasn't a big spotlight, but there really were big spotlights on teams like Washington and Washington Redskins. The Baylor quarterback is going over there, and you all know about the Indianapolis Colts. They let their big Peyton go, and he's going to play out there in Denver, and they bring in Luck from Stanford, and on and on it goes. Why do NFL teams do that? Do you realize that your average lifespan in the NFL is about four or five years? It's 10 years if you're pretty good. And then if you're like one of those Hall of Famers, you might squeeze out 20 years or so. You know, you tend to think of them living a long time. But the reality is in NFL sports, if you're not recruiting those younger legs and those strong young bodies, then just like that, your championship team is lost. What's really exciting in the body of Christ is that if you're older and you're mature, the truth of the matter is you're just moving slowly, not towards the end of your career, but you're moving towards the time when your body's no longer going to get tired and your back's no longer going to hurt and your head's no longer going to ache. In fact, in the body of Christ, you're moving, the older that we get, the closer that we get to being young forever. Isn't that awesome? That's the incredible resurrection power that we have in Jesus. Another thing that even in this life, as our body still groans and we do grow weaker physically, one of the realities in the body of Christ as we read the New Testament is that godliness lived over time never loses its value. Do you hear what I just said? Godliness lived over time never loses its value. So as you're maturing... In the body of Christ, as you live close to Jesus over time, you become more and more valuable as an example, as a model, as a challenger, as a great mentor in the body of Christ. And that's one of the things we want to really pray together as a church family. But we also need to realize that the nature of this life is that church families need young blood. They need strength. They need power. They need the excitement. They need the new ideas. And one of the things that I want you to really be praying about in our church family is that we need to be able to have the older ones living godliness over time. We've got a great tree of our church being born, our church being involved in many, many ministries here in Midlothian and around the world. And the Lord wants to keep fanning that flames, but I really want to challenge the Timothys and those that are married to Timothy, and the young men and women in the group, the body of Christ wants to lay hands upon you and have you use that strength and start growing and using all your ideas. And the passage in Acts helps us to do that. What's really exciting about studying the Word of God is that the Word of God, as we're working through a book like Acts, it catches us up in the redemptive plan of God. The book of Acts gives us the biggest mission that you could ever be given. The Lord Jesus gave it to us before he ascended to heaven. He says, you'll be my witnesses. 
You'll witness my death and my resurrection is what Jesus was saying. I want you to begin in your hometown of Jerusalem. Then I want you to spread to Judea and all the area around Jerusalem. Then I want you to be willing to break into other cultures. I want you to go to the Samaritans that you don't like. I want you to go to the Samaritans that you won't talk to. And then I want you to really break all bounds. I want you to go to Gentiles. Jesus is speaking to all Jewish men at the time, 12 apostles. 11 apostles, and there's 120 that are in the upper room, and his mother's there, and his brothers are there, and Jesus, but they're all Jewish. Every one of them are Jewish. In the first century, Jews didn't have dealings with Gentiles. So I want you to feel the power of the command that Jesus has given, and this is why you're here today, because brothers and sisters in the first century and down through all the centuries since, they reached out, they stepped across Social, cultural, language, geographical barriers because they had a passion to bring Jesus into the lives of others. That's what we want to be caught up in. The book of Acts is what the Holy Spirit, the power of Jesus continues to do. What does he continue to do? He wants to use every single one of you to witness to Jesus' power of forgiveness in the cross. He wants to use every one of you to be witnesses wherever you are to the power of resurrection to give new life. He wants you to keep gathering together with those that join you in the faith. If we turn to Acts, the end of Acts chapter 15, let's pick up the story. The early church had just come through a great big crisis. One of the things we learned in Acts 15 is you can't quit on the body of Christ because there's conflicts, because there's arguments. As long as you live in this life, you're going to have arguments in your marriages. Don't quit on your marriage. Work through your disagreements. You're going to have arguments in your small groups. Don't quit on your small groups. You're going to have arguments in your large church family. One of the things that the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us to do in the book of Acts is that you work through conflicts. The big conflict in Acts 15 is a very strategic one. It was the heart of our faith. Did you have to become Jewish to get born again? Did you have to be circumcised to become forgiven and become a full-fledged follower of Jesus? If they would have voted, yes, you do need to be circumcised, you and I wouldn't be here. Christianity would have been engulfed in first century Judaism. It would have been blown away when the Romans destroyed the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD and then scattered them in 132. But instead, the Holy Spirit moved that group as they met together. Peter testified, no, God has said that Gentiles can be saved by grace, totally free. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to do religious things. And so the Jerusalem Council united under the Lord's half-brother James, and they said, we're not going to make circumcision necessary for salvation. And then they gave a decree. In order for the Gentiles and Jews to be able to eat together, in order for them to be able to sit in houses together and do what you're doing now. As you gather together, the Jerusalem Council gave some principles for fellowship. One of them was you can't eat food that's been offered to idols. And that became the debate in the early church. Jerusalem Council is saying you can't go to the idolatrous temple with all your unbelieving friends and sit down at their feasts that honor idols. Don't do it. Because... Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him alone. And Jesus said the very first commandment is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So the Jerusalem council said, Gentiles, you can't go back to the temple of Apollo. You can't go to the temple of Zeus. And in our day, it was saying that we need to wholeheartedly love the Lord with all of our hearts. Second of all, it gave two commands about the food that you eat. Jews were horrified when the Gentiles would 
would take an animal and boil it and not drain the blood out or strangle it. Because according to the Old Testament, your life is in the blood. In other words, Levitical law said that one of the sacred things, the gift of life is given to us through our blood. Also, in the story of redemption, the blood is very precious because our Savior shed his blood on Calvary. And so a Jew would cringe at eating an animal that hadn't had the blood drained away. It was a fellowship thing. It had to do with their commitments to one another in Gentiles being able to eat with Jewish people. The equivalent in our day would be that if we had a lot of Jews in our church family that are raised on kosher food, then we would, when we have a church supper, we would be, need to be really careful to be sensitive to their sensibilities and not have Whataburger hamburgers and vanilla ice cream all at the same time. Because we would want to get along and we want to think through in our own day, what are those standards for fellowship that help us get along better? The final one was that they shouldn't get engaged in any kind of immorality. Gentiles in the first century didn't have very good sexual morals, just like our day. So when they came to Jesus, the final decree was, hey, just like the first one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, which expands to all kinds of sexual immorality, don't be involved in that. In the first century, the Jerusalem Council came to an authoritative decision, and it was binding upon the rest of the body of Christ. And one thing I want you to think about is our commitment to following the teaching of Scripture. One of the foundations in our church family, what needs to decide what determines what we do, what determines how we get along, needs to constantly be the Word of God. Because we have access to the apostles' teaching. We can read here this morning. The reason I'm going to do what I'm going to do the next few minutes in opening this book is because this is where you can hear the Spirit's guidance. One of the most important things in our church family needs to be that we always keep going back to listening to God's voice in this book. And you're going to see this morning why it's so important. I didn't even know this would be the Sunday that we would lay hands on Zach and Whitney and Jason and Lila, but the Holy Spirit did. And you know what we're talking about in the book of Acts today? Mentors and mentorees. The first thing we have is the mentor, the Apostle Paul, and he is thoroughly engaged. Look what it says back in, in Acts at the end of chapter 15 to pick up the mission story. It says that Paul and Silas are going everywhere and they are strengthening the churches. Acts chapter 15 at the very end of the chapter Luke uses a transition phrase. He says, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brother to the grace of the Lord. Notice that the stress on their mission is grace. He went through Syria. That's the area right around Antioch where they were leaving from. Cilicia is the next Roman province coming into southern Turkey. What are they doing? They're strengthening their churches. So Paul and Silas are a mission team, and everywhere they go, they're strengthening the churches. What they're going to do in this chapter is they're going to retrace their steps, only they're going to do it backwards. They're going to go from the east to the west instead of going from the west to the east, because the last time on the first missionary journey, they did it by boat, and they landed, and then they went from west to east. This time, they're going to go from east over the land to the west, but they're doing exactly what we need to be doing. So the very first question I ask myself is today, this week, what are Dave and Mary doing to strengthen the churches? Notice it doesn't say just one church. 
Like one of the things I really want you to pray about is I see the body of Christ in our area and throughout our land, we are very separate. We don't think of ourselves as one body. One of the major things that we're trying to do as we live in the book of Acts is we realize it's the churches. It's the one church, which is, according to Ephesians, it's the bride of Christ, which is composed of all those, anywhere, any place, down through time, that trust Jesus as their Savior. I want your commitment to be someone that trusts Jesus' cross and his resurrection. They're my brother, they're my sister. And that's much stronger than denominational ties. It's much stronger than where I go to a local church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Apostle Paul with his sidekick Silas is mirroring that. They went from the Church of Antioch, and the Church of Antioch freely lets one of their most gifted teachers join with another gifted teacher, and they start to strengthen the new churches. We're here today because they weren't closing themselves in the Church of Antioch. They were opening their hands. So the first thing that we want to ask the Holy Spirit is, how am I being used? What are some things that I did this past week? It can be everything from, you know, talking to a friend at work and sharing with them about how Jesus is working and and finding out that they go to church and then blessing the church where they go and, and encouraging them in their work. Or maybe it's hearing about a mission thrust that another church is doing and you have prayer with them. It can go on and on, all kinds of ways that you can be strengthening the body of Christ. And that's the very first thing I want you to see. Paul and Silas, as they renew this second mission trip, the purpose of it is to go and strengthen the churches that have already been established. The next thing I want you to see is the Apostle Paul begins to recruit youth for the mission. This is really important. Every one of you that's older in the faith, myself included, we need to be recruiting youth for the mission. Look what it says. It says he came to Derby, coming from the east to the west. Derby, you come first. Then you went about another hundred miles to Lystra, and Lystra is Timothy's hometown. There was a disciple named Timothy, and he lived there. His mother also was a Jewess, and she was a believer. So on his mother's side, we have a Jew and a Jew that received Jesus as the Messiah. But his father, and now we have a contrast, his father, and the Greek verb would imply that his father probably isn't living, and also the way Luke tells this story, his father doesn't engage at all in this. So it's very possible his father was an unbelieving Gentile who possibly died, isn't involved in Timothy's life. But his father was a Greek. That's going to be very important for our story today. What does it mean that his father was a Greek and his mom was Jewish? The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey to be circumcised, so he circumcised him because the Jews who had lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay. This is the calling of a young mentoree by a mentor. The very first thing I want you to see is who this Timothy is. Timothy is a mama's boy. He's a grandmother's boy. We just read in the passage in 2 Timothy, he was raised by his godly grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. It's awesome. He's raised by women. So I want all of you ladies, any ladies here raising kids without a believing dad's help. Some of you are doing that. This passage powerfully encourages you. Lois and Eunice raised up one of the most powerful young men 
that took our faith into the next generation. They raised the young man. And Paul will tell Timothy at the end of his life, I want you to remember the faith that you were taught by your mother and grandmother. From a child, you've known the Jewish scriptures. From a child, you were taught Genesis through Malachi. And I want you to remember what your mom and your grandmother told you, that all scriptures breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching and for correction and for instruction in righteousness that you might be completely equipped for all the good things God has for you. That incredible classic verse on the fact that every word of scripture is breathed out by God was really in Paul motivating Timothy in the next generation to remember the heritage he had in Christ. So many of you ladies are involved in helping with the kids in the nursery. You're teaching Awana kids. You're helping with the teenagers. You're helping with middle school. You reach out, like if you think of what happened in the school, both men and women mentoring children throughout the whole area. Timothy reminds us it's going to be worth it to do that. It's going to be worth it to invest our life in a young Timothy. Now, this young Timothy, I want you to notice something about him. It's he's a man of faith. And evidently, he came to believe in Jesus during the first missionary journey when the Apostle Paul came to Lystra. This is a city where the Apostle Paul got stoned and then woke up and came right back in and kept on ministering, established the church there. And evidently, Timothy's mom and grandmother and Timothy himself made the step as Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So I'm reminded that whatever I believe about being a member of a church, part of our mission needs to be to share with Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And that goes totally against pluralism in our culture. The idea in our culture is if you're Jewish, you have your Jewish faith. If you're Gentile, then you can be a Christian or be whatever you want to. What Acts is telling us is, no, you've met the Jewish Messiah. It was predicted in the Jewish scriptures that he would die on the cross, that he would rise again from the dead. And Jews can be gloriously transformed. They don't have to change their culture. You're going to learn that in this passage. Jews can eat kosher food. Jews can meet in synagogues if they want to. Jews can do whatever they want to in their cultural Judaism. But they need to trust Jesus as their Messiah. They don't have to call him Jesus. They can call him Yeshua. That's just a language change. So that's one of the ideas I want you to get into because in our day, the Lord is beginning to open the door again. He's beginning to cause Jews. In fact, in Israel, there's many Jews, even undercover, that are saying, yeah, we need to reconsider this Yeshua ben David. And I want you to realize, don't have a negative spirit towards that. If you do, you're not walking in the power of the Spirit. Because the Apostle Paul is telling us that he chose a young mentoree, he needed to replace John Mark And John Mark was a young Jewish man from Jerusalem. And he went with his relative, Barnabas. They're on another mission trip. What Luke is doing is he's filling in John Mark's place, and he does it with another young Jew. I want you to see that this young Jew has a good reputation. Notice what I just read. He says, the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. So Lystra is Timothy's hometown. Iconium is like Waxahachie is to Midlothian. So one of the ways that you analyze leadership is does this person have a good witness with local believers? 
I want you to see the connectedness of these believers. Like, how you say, Dave, how do we choose leaders? How do you know who a leader should be? How do you know the young man or young woman that's being called out? One of the very first things is as someone starts to grow in godliness, their reputation becomes known in their local churches and in other local churches around them. That's what Timothy had. He was a good witness to what Jesus was doing in his life. And we need to be crying out for the Holy Spirit to raise up young Timothys that will have a good witness in Midlothian Bible Church and in extended churches around us. Those of you that are younger, I want you to realize this should encourage you. You can be a teenager and have a really good witness. You can be a middle schooler and have a really good witness. In fact, the Holy Spirit wants to use you right where you are, and your witness can start to extend in many other places. Ethan's only 11 years old. Think of the witness that the Lord Jesus has given to him. How many of you would say, in the midst of a really tough struggle, that he has a good reputation? And I want you to bless the hallmark. Bless Ethan. Pray for them in this struggle. But there is a living body. That's today. The Lord is raising up what I'm talking about. A good witness among believers. You need to ask yourself as you think about growing leadership is what do my fellow believers think about me? And ask yourself that. Interact with fellow believers about how they think you're coming along in your walk with Christ. You know, how you encourage them in your walk in Christ. It's not perfection at all. It's how you're responding in grace. The second thing I want you to see is that Paul was very concerned that Paul wanted Timothy to have a good relationship with unbelieving Jews. Notice what it says. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because the Jews who lived in the area, because they all knew that his father was a Greek. You need to stick with me. Why in the world would Paul take Timothy and have him undergo a tough surgery for a grown man? Why would he do that? And especially, why would he even care about the unbelieving Jews that were around that area? Because one of the things you need to realize about what the book of Acts is teaching us as we reach out with unbelieving people, One of the most powerful ways that we have a testimony to them is by being with them and living a godly life and following things that are wise and are skillful. Now you say, well, well, there's a really big conflict here because I know I'm a Bible student. Paul had another associate. His name was Titus. And Titus was a Gentile. And Paul would go and and give his life not to have Titus circumcised. In fact, in the book of Galatians, he made a major point that, that he did not make Titus get circumcised. Now, this is what every one of you potential leaders in our church and all of you as a body need to understand. And this is what it means to think biblically. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit. I've been reading scholars all this week. The whole New Testament scholarly world divided over this passage. Paul could have never asked, the historical Paul could have never asked Timothy to be circumcised because it totally compromised what he said in the book of Galatians. So you have the school of Paul, which is totally breaking from Judaism, no cultural relationship at all. And that's the school of Paul. Then they hold 
in New Testament, there's a school of Peter. And the school of Peter said, no, you need to be Jewish. You need to keep all these rules. And what we have in the book of Acts is Dr. Luke fudging on all this and trying to cover up the conflict. And for a 100 years, New Testament scholarship has been divided over that and fighting back and forth. This is what I want you to understand. When I talk like that, I've become the authority. I don't listen carefully to what Luke is saying. I don't listen carefully to what the Apostle Paul was saying in the book of Galatians. One of the major things I'm trying to teach you, you need to begin at the beginning of a book, and you need to listen to the conversation through the book really carefully. What's at stake in Timothy's life? Is the idea that you need to be circumcised in order to get to heaven, is that the issue at stake in Timothy's life? No. You see, in their culture, Timothy had a Jewish mom. We know from second century missionist sources that at least by that time, but probably reaching back in the first century, in fact, I would use this as one of the early witnesses that there was this. If you're Jewish, in fact, it's even to this day, if your mama is Jewish, you can go to Israel as a Jew. And you can go to Israel and become a citizen if your mom is Jewish because that's how Judaism is passed on. And it probably goes way back here. So ethnically and socially, Timothy is considered by the Jews as a Jewish boy that haven't kept the cultural ethnic thing that's really important for our people, which is to be circumcised. So in order for Timothy to be able to freely minister with Paul among Jews, he has to be circumcised. Everybody understand that? Titus wasn't Jewish at all. He was a total Gentile. So socially, he was Gentile. He did not need to become Jewish in order to be right with God. So Paul would go to the stake not to have Titus be forced to be circumcised. But when it comes to culture, Paul says to the Jew, I'll be a Jew. Later on in the book of Acts, we're going to have a weird passage where the Apostle Paul comes back to Jerusalem and all the leaders of the Jerusalem church says, everyone thinks here in Jerusalem that you're going all over the, the Roman world teaching Jews not to be Jewish anymore, not to keep kosher food laws, not to, 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 be, uh, to be committed to their family Jewish values. Will you please take a vow so you can show the Jews in Jerusalem that you're still a good practicing Jew culturally? And Paul took the vow. He got his hair shaved. He ended up getting arrested, so that's where the critical scholar would say, well, see, he did the wrong thing. No. When I used to teach at Word of Life every week, I'm going to give you a, this is not nearly like circumcision, praise God. Back in the early days, hair was long, okay? In fact, back in those days, if I went up to teach at Word of Life with this right here, nobody in the audience would have listened to me. The whole week I tried to teach in Proverbs, all the students that wanted beards would argue why the administration said you can't have beards. And because I had my hair over my ears at that time, which in most of the world was pretty acceptable, but hair length was a no-no. So all these Bible students have to have their hair cut. So I used to get my hair cut. And Mary, because Mary likes things black and white, said, you're such a hypocrite. And I don't like your hair cut. Like, you need to leave your hair like it is. When you go to Word of Life, your goal is to teach and connect people with Jesus, not what your hair is like. 
And that's what this passage is saying. What it's saying is that people that understand what's really at stake, when you get your eyes upon Jesus, you're able to go into situations, and to a Jew, you're able to be a Jew, and with a Gentile, you're able to be Gentiles. What I want us to grow as a church family, if we're going to be able to have Hispanics and blacks and Asians and become multicultural as a church family, then we're going to have to learn to be able to adapt to each other. You can see what happens in worship when you have different cultures not becoming the same, but using their distinctiveness and maintaining that distinctiveness, but not dividing from one another. That's what the book of Acts is teaching about. Timothy was Jewish. And so the Apostle Paul opened the door for ministry among Jews. Very important. He had a good testimony with, with believers. He had a good testimony with unbelieving Jews because now he's circumcised. And now we have him able to join the team. And what do they do? They go further. The next verse says, as they travel from town to town, they deliver the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and the Western text adds that they proclaimed the gospel everywhere they went. That would be assumed by Dr. Luke, and you could add that if you wanted to. It's the thrust of the book of Acts, and they grew daily in numbers. That's my prayer. Our church family is in transition. In fact, looking back over my life, I realized that all of life is always a transition. And we're in a transition now. One of my passions for our church family, we need to have Paul's, and Pauline's that are old and mature and godly in the Lord. And like Paul, they look for the Timothy. They look for younger believers that they can mentor. So those of you that have walked with the Lord for many years, your responsibility from this passage is to open your heart, and I'm included, open your heart to the younger person that the Lord wants you to mentor. One of the Apostle Paul's great examples to us is that as an older believer, when he lost John Mark because of a personality conflict and a disagreement, he's not bitter, not angry. The very next town he's in, his eyes are looking, and there's a young, marvelous Timothy. And Paul called Timothy alongside him, and Timothy became like a son to Paul. So I want to ask you of an older saint, who's your son? Notice the relationship. This isn't organizational. It's relational. It's family. It's the body of Christ functioning. So if you're a Paul, who's the Timothy that the Lord is bringing into your path that's younger than you, that you can eat breakfast with, that you can go fishing with, that you can help them in their business decisions, you can help them wrestle through marriage things, I want you to pray that the Lord is going to raise up a whole bunch of mature believers that call out young Timothys to themselves. Second of all, if you're a young Timothy, I want you to realize that in our culture, in our culture, it's tough to be old. Some of your friends that are in their late 50s and 60s dye their hair. Have you noticed that? Do you know why they do that? Because they want to be young. And our culture says that we're a youth culture. In fact, the baby booming generation, younger people listen. I'm a baby boomer. Baby boomers didn't trust anybody over 30. And now they're 60. And that's why a bunch of you didn't have any moms and dads. Because they never wanted to grow up.
And so there's a gap. From a cultural standpoint, socially, my generation said we'll never grow up we're going to be young forever, and we keep doing that to you. All of our music, all of our skills. My son Joshua talked to me about that yesterday. We keep repackaging our music. We change the rhythm a little bit, and then we sell it to you again, and we don't mentor you. We make money from you, but we don't mentor you, and we're gigantic. Well, in our church family, if you're a Timothy, I want you to understand something. The older person starts to feel like, I'm not needed anymore. The older person begins to feel like the culture's passed me by. They also have to start wrestling with physical tiredness. And they can't figure it out why. So there's a big tendency for them to begin to withdraw. And your tendency is to fight them on that. Because you got all kind of new ideas and you're brimming with excitement. And man, we can do this, you can do this. And your older saint resists that. Let's not let that block us. Those of you that are young, we need to have the Holy Spirit powerfully grab. Because I got news for you. A guy that's 80, for most guys in their 80s, aren't going to be that excited about making a softball diamond. But you that are young, man, that, that creates vision. It creates opportunity. And I want you to start to think in terms of how can we use the tools that the Lord has given us to reach out in our community? How can we reach out to other believers? How can we reach out to unbelievers? How do we make the connections? And I want us to get the wisdom of the old connected with the fire and the power of the young. And some of you that are kind of in the middle, it's time for the Holy Spirit to rest upon you and say, I need to make the power of the Spirit powerfully reaching others. It's my thing. Not someone else's thing. Not the older guy that trained me in Awana. Not the older guy that did my youth group. It's my time. I want you just to be praying that the Lord will raise up many godly mature Pauls and Paulines and many young Timothy and the female counterpart. And we can do this. Why do we need to do that? Because the church needs to be strengthened. The church needs to be, not Midlothian Bible Church, but the body of Christ in Midlothian needs to be strengthened. The body of Christ throughout this area needs to be strengthened. The Holy Spirit isn't running out of gas. The Holy Spirit hasn't stopped changing lives. The Holy Spirit that was breathing through Paul and through Silas and caused him to reach out to Timothy, he worked today. It says that they strengthened the body of Christ in grace. Some of you feel I was blocked. And what blocks people, you say, like you're growing in a church family and then something happens and then you feel blocked. And so you feel disengaged. Like I could never be on that inner circle and everything. The Holy Spirit wants to destroy inner circles. This is all about grace. I only stand before you today teaching God's word because of amazing grace. I have been chased and only committed to one woman, only by grace. But the story of all of your lives is it's right now this morning, if you're walking towards Jesus and you're growing in him, he covered anything that happened back here. You might have lost your temper and got really bent out of shape. Join the club. That shouldn't block you from strengthening the body of Christ and using all of your gifts 
to cause Jesus to come into people's lives and for people to grow. This is all about grace. Leaders aren't people that are really good and have a perfect reputation because they've never, never failed. Leaders are people that are communicating to unbelievers and believers alike that I'm growing in grace. They can see my progress. So I want to unleash what the Holy Spirit wants to do because we desperately need not leaders with position. We need servants because that's what a leader is in the body of Christ. He's a servant. She's a servant. Titles mean nothing. Action, building into people's lives. Timothy's being mentored by Paul's and Paul's mentoring Timothy and going into all kinds of opportunities to reach people for Jesus. I pray with all my heart that Melothian Bible Church will have old, mature, godly hearts united with really strong legs. Because even an NBA team like the Oklahoma Thunder has Kevin Durant with young legs, but they brought Fisher from L.A., and they brought the great big center from Boston because those young legs need to be steadied with all that experience. And that's what the Lord wants to do with Lothian Bible Church.